G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face, to helping you understand the issues going on in the world, to clear and understandable Bible teaching, all peppered with great Christian music, the latest news, and even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au or download our free app. How important do you think it is to have a Christian chaplain presence in your darkest hour? Maybe it's an emergency, a fire, a flood, a health crisis. And just how important is it to care for those emergency services who serve us so well? Talking about ambulance people, paramedics, about those fireies, about police, people who are the first responders when there is any sort of emergency or disaster. Well, your opportunity to be part of our conversation this hour because we're going to be talking about chaplains and our emergency services. You'll be able to call us, our talkback line opening on 1-800-316-316. A couple of guests to welcome, but let's first of all welcome Paul McFarlane, who is Senior Chaplain with the New South Wales Ambulance Service, this stage in charge of about 38 chaplains in New South Wales, in the Ambos. And when you think of the Ambos in New South Wales, responding to emergencies about every 26 seconds you know that there is a big call on our emergency services. Paul McFarlane, welcome along to 2020. Uh, Good afternoon, Neil. Thank you for the invitation. Paul, just great to be able to talk to you. You've got something like 38 chaplains who are under your care or your coordination, and uh, you're looking to expand that number. Why the need to expand the chaplaincy services? Uh, yes, yeah, good question. We've, it's, it's a program that's been growing really from very ad hoc beginnings almost 25, 28 years ago where there were just local arrangements between managers and, and a local uh, pastor or priest in that area. But we've become much more um, strategic, much more systematic about it now because the chaplaincy program is something that's very much appreciated by our paramedics across the state and it's a great opportunity uh, to have, if we've got enough people, to provide support in all sorts of different situations, uh, both for our staff and also for community members in times of need. So in the last year or so, we've done a lot more thinking about where we need people and recruiting the best people we can as volunteer chaplains to be able to support our uh, our staff and our community. Well, Paul, when we think of chaplaincy and when we think of ambulance, what happens with the chaplains? Does the chaplain actually find themselves out on the road responding to an emergency with the AMBOs or is it more a behind-the-scenes thing that the AMBO follows up Uh, the chaplain follows up. How how does it work with chaplaincy and the ambulance? Yeah, sure. I I like to describe it, I suppose, as having two aspects to what we do in our ministry. Um, First and foremost is to support and care for our uh, paramedics and their own families. So we're there as uh, friendly, um, safe, confidential, non-judgmental people that can assist our staff just to talk about either personal things or or to talk through some of the traumas and the the deaths that they are experiencing and and see as part of their role. But also, secondly, we... um, 
provide uh, a level of support to our community um, at times of crisis as well, such as when perhaps a, a child has been killed or there's been a pretty horrific suicide and um, family members, bystanders um, need some support and the, our crews are able to call out the chaplain um, to respond to that incident as well to provide that emotional support to community members on behalf of New South Wales Ambulance. And it's interesting when you talk about, you know, becoming a little more formalised and you've got these 38 chaplains now in your uh, area of coordination. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned, though, in our introduction, in uh, in the opening remarks, that this used to be done a little bit on an ad hoc basis. You know, there'd be uh, people from a local church in a community that would get alongside their ambulance services, uh, but that's becoming more, more formal these days. Uh, yes, it is, and, and, it, and it needs to be because we're a very professional um, uh, pre-hospital uh, care provider as an, as an ambulance service, and I, I suppose I take my role quite seriously as senior chaplain and try to provide the best pastoral care that we can, uh, and I think as Christians too, I think we, we, if we want to do any job, any ministry, we need to be 100% committed to it and 100% um, professional in that, and I think the community and uh, people respect us better if they know that we're doing a good job and we are thoughtful in the way that we do it. So I've tried to uh, increasingly lift um, the profile of the chaplains, but also lift the professionalism of the, of the team so that we are providing you know, a pretty well a standard service to staff no matter where they are in the state. And that's, uh, that, that comes through you know, good training, good induction programs, good recruiting, um, but also just keeping thinking through you know, where do I need more, where are the gaps, uh, where, where can we provide a better level of service. So I think you know, the days are gone where just an ad hoc local connection with the church is good enough. We need to be able to understand the culture. Uh, we wear a uniform the same as the paramedics do, so you need to understand how, how our systems work and that you are representing uh, the most trusted profession when you go out to serve people. Now, I mentioned too in those opening remarks that, uh, that occasionally a chaplain goes out uh, with a, an ambulance yes, uh, to yeah. a particular emergency. Uh, but when you start to enlarge on the need that the chaplain provides uh, to those staff members, because you know what, I, I think we tend to take it for granted that those paramedics, those ambulance drivers who attend all of those traumatic accidents yes, yeah. and dreadful things, that somehow or other they have some sort of supernatural ability to be able to, to cope with all of the stresses that that brings. But but that's not necessarily the case, is it? Because there's a real need to support those guys. No, our paramedics are extremely caring people with a high level of empathy for people in times of need. But, you know, when you care for people, and I'm sure most of your listeners who are involved in, you know, uh, ministry in church, if, if you're involved in the care of other people, it does come at a cost. And uh, when you invest yourself emotionally with people, you know, you've really got to have good self-care in place. And all, otherwise, it just slowly grinds away at you and you start to get burnt out and you start to have compassion fatigue and it gets hard. And, um, you know, you, you, you couple that with actually some of the things we physically see and are involved in that um, can be quite horrific at times for our paramedics. You know, it's a it's a pretty potent mix at times. So we, we, we take that very seriously and we... Um, we, we want them to know that they don't travel alone through this. We do it as a team. We do it together, and we get through these things together with good good cheer and good support and uh, and a lot of people that have your backs. And so the chaplains very much fit into that mould of being there to journey with them and get alongside them on those tough days. And, Paul, it can't be minimised, the fact that it's not just what you are seeing if you're a emergency services worker, if you're an AMBO, if you're a, yes, yeah. a, a paramedic, but these days it's actually... 
somewhat more dangerous than perhaps it's ever been because now we start hearing these dreadful reports of uh, ambulance drivers and paramedics mm. being attacked at the mm. scene mm. because of you know issues like the ice epidemic and things like that. Exactly. This creates a whole new dimension for the care of, of our emergency services, doesn't it? It does. And a lot of psychological research shows that if your own personal safety is under threat, that's a really quite a significant violation for people, and, you know, whether that's because you're going out for, for a dinner with your family and you know something happens you get mugged or whatever or whether it's you know someone breaks into your home or when your personal safety and personal space is violated it's an awful thing and I think our crews are unfortunately uh, increasingly seeing some of the darker sides of society now with the, with the drug epidemic and perhaps a little less respect in the community for people who are in uniforms and in authority then I think we are seeing um, you know the, the the poor results of uh, of that when our, our staff who are there to genuinely help people you know perhaps get pushed or punched or um, spat upon or, or abused uh, you know when and that that's hard to take when you're there simply to, to support other people and the, you know you, you don't ask for that kind of thing to happen to you. Well, wanting to invite our listeners to join into our conversation today, Paul, and asking the question: just how important do you think it is to have a Christian chaplain present? Uh, in your darkest hour. Now, whether that be uh, in some level of emergency, community emergency, or some major crisis that you might be facing, and just how important is it to care for our emergency services, like the ambulance, like the fireys, like the police. So our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join into our conversation. 1-800-316-316. You might have your own story to tell on just how valuable it is to have a Christian chaplain on hand when there is some sort of emergency or some challenge that you might be facing. Perhaps, as I mentioned, it could be your darkest hour, 1-800-316-316. Paul McFarlane's our guest. He's Senior Chaplain with the New South Wales Ambulance Service. And, Paul, I don't want this to go unrecognised in our conversation today, but you are looking to recruit more chaplains and, uh, and I guess there'd be some sort of a stringent process that you'd have to go through to actually be recognised and as officially as a chaplain in the New South Wales Ambulance Service? Uh, yes, that's correct, Neil. I mean, at this stage, we're hoping early next year to, to start to expand the numbers once again, once we've got the latest uh, recruits um, inducted and trained and ready to, to, to fully roll. Um, we've just recently put on 13 new chaplains, so there's been a lot of, uh, lot of work you know, getting that team up to speed, ready to go, but they've been a fantastic addition to our program. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, what we would do when the time is right is, uh, and uh, we've, we've, you know, finally nailed down where we want to put new chaplains. We'll be um, sending out some expression, uh, sending out some um, information to anyone that's expressed interest, uh, but also advertising it um, through some of the um, Christian denominations and uh, media outlets, as well as uh, through um, things like Seek.com and some of the online forums, so that people have a broad chance to, to find out about it. We then uh, would ask people to apply for the role. We do take quite seriously, so we ask them to have a written application with a CV and with um, with the experiences that they they have. Uh, we also like our new chaplains to be able to demonstrate to us, you know, how they do look after themselves, how do how they do build their own resilience up, because we're putting people um, who are perhaps good-hearted people but into a very stressful situation at times. So we want them to be as resilient as they can be as well to help people and hear the stories that they hear and to have good support. Um, we're also looking for, for people perhaps with some background in emergency services or some interest or some passion for that and to, you know, to, to share with us why they're passionate about that, uh, that sort of work. Uh, from that point onwards, we'll look through the applications and then we've been calling uh, people up for an interview and then we have a formal interview. 
and uh, which can be a bit daunting for people, but it's been a good process to find out more about the potential chaplains and also for them to find out more about the organisation. And then those that have been successful, we've, uh, we've, we've brought them into our organisation as, uh, as volunteers. Um, they get a uniform, they get a whole lot of resources, uh, and they also get um, some good induction training and ongoing training as well. So it's a great process, and we're looking, obviously, for the best people we can every time we put new, new people in the team because... Um, as I said, we want anywhere in the state to be able to receive the best care that they can with the best local chaplains they can. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. It's Neil Johnson with you and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in our conversation. We're talking about chaplains. We're talking about emergency services around Australia and focusing in our special guest this hour, Paul McFarlane, who's Senior Chaplain with the New South Wales Ambulance Service. And uh, we're going to also uh, hear from some other uh, chaplaincy providers. And another one that uh, we'll talk to in these next few minutes is Stuart Stewart, who leads the Victorian Council of Churches Emergency Ministries. Hello, Stuart. Welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Good to be here. Uh, Stuart, and uh, introducing you to Paul McFarlane. Paul? Hello, Stuart. G'day, Paul. How are you? Good. Nice to talk to you as well. Now, you guys uh, are running different styles of chaplaincy services, and we've been talking about the New South Wales Ambulance Service. Uh, Stuart Stewart, uh, you're leading the Victorian Council of Churches Emergency Ministries. Uh, You might like to recap for us just how significant your coverage is throughout the state of Victoria. Well, Neil, uh, essentially we have 1,700 trained volunteers across the state of Victoria and growing Uh, began in 1977 with the prime purpose of supporting communities who are struggling with and affected by emergencies or disasters. Now, on a day like today, uh, Stuart, uh, where there's high fire danger in so many of those communities around Victoria, I guess you've got people who are on standby. Is that the way it works? Uh, yeah, essentially, uh, we've got people who uh, are on standby, both at a volunteer level but also in our emergency operations centre to um, respond to any event that might come up that requires for communities to evacuate their, uh, their town or their centre Um, or who are distressed as a result of the fires that might come through their area. Well, Stuart, we've also got Paul on the phone, and he's a senior chaplain there with the New South Wales Ambulance Service. Uh, Is there a connection that you guys have to ambulance services in Victoria? We do have a connection through the State Health Emergency Response Plan, and so essentially the uh, commander for the ambulance service can contact us and respond us to a scene of an emergency and the same with uh, Victoria Police where they also can contact us if they're at an emergency scene and there are affected people, bystanders or large community gatherings where we can go out and help those people to um, uh, feel supported and connected. Well, I want to ask you both about the attitudes that come from above when it comes to chaplaincy. And if I come to you, Paul McFarlane, uh, when it comes to New South Wales AMBOs, is there a is there a sort of a good feeling that the management and the leadership of ambulance in New South Wales has uh, to to chaplaincy and the expansion, Paul? Uh, yes, there has been. We had uh, nothing but support from our senior executives and our commissioner when we when I put up the proposal to increase our numbers and. Uh, because they've seen the difference that chaplaincy makes on the ground. And, you know, I'll talk a bit later in our hour about this, but over the weekend we had an enormously busy weekend here in New South Wales with a lot of significant traumas and uh, emergencies that happened. And I think uh, my 
excuse me, on my last count, I think 11 chaplaincy events happened between Friday and Sunday where my team was out helping people, which is unprecedented. But uh, at one stage in the weekend, I got a text from our commissioner just uh, thanking me for the work the team does. So it is noticed at the highest levels and it is appreciated at the highest levels. And Stuart, Stuart, uh, sometimes when we think of uh, chaplaincy, it's a little bit intangible, isn't it, the value? Because you're talking about uh, people, you're talking about even mental health issues, I guess, and uh, and the comfort of someone who's been in shock or bereavement or uh, suffering dreadful uh, grief and loss over things. Uh, but uh, I guess it's important to have that support coming from above. Absolutely. Not only the, the support from, um, from the chaplains on the ground who are, um, who are actually engaging with community members who are distressed, they're frightened, they're worried, they're concerned, they're grieving, they're traumatised essentially, psychologically, emotionally and spiritually. And our members are there to try and help them to uh, journey through that experience. But um, one of the comments that continues uh, to be made by the Emergency Management Commissioner here in Victoria of the Victorian Council of Churches Emergencies Ministry is we're one of the trusted networks. And essentially what he means by that is that we've got a capability and a capacity to respond to any event in Victoria, but we do that in a way that actually helps build community resilience and helps people to find within themselves the skills and abilities to recover from that traumatic event. You've got 1,700 on your crew that are on standby there, uh, Stuart. What sort of training do they need to do to be able to become a a chaplain with the uh, Victorian Council of Churches Emergency Ministry? Well, essentially, our training is a value-add in in that we do a two-day psychological first aid and emotional spiritual care training. It's two full days, including a practical exercise that takes place at the end of the second day, um, and it teaches people about how uh, how those who are affected by trauma uh, are going to uh, need support and help, gives them the skills of psychological first aid and emotional spiritual care um, and helps them to understand themselves in that. So what's the self-care? How do they look after themselves when they're, when they're going through those uh, uh, experiences of helping others in need? Because it's obviously distressing for our members as well. But so... But also our members come from a vast background of um, social work, psychology, teaching, nursing, pastoral care. More than 80% of our members have got formal pastoral care training or are ministers. Um, and others come with, you know, those other uh, mental health um, skills that uh, add value to what we do. This is what I love about what you do, Stuart, and uh, the the level of expertise that's involved in what we might think of as volunteer chaplaincy. But as you say, uh, there are people who have got... Uh, you know, life professional skills that they are bringing to the table and uh, and offering those to the people of your state. Uh, this is this is an important aspect. The depth of the professionalism, uh, even amongst the volunteer chaplains, is just huge. Absolutely, Neil, and thank you for uh, highlighting that. Because what we see as a as a, an organisation is that we're there to find people in the Christian community who already have a skill set, they already have education and information and, uh, and experience. Our job is to find those within the Christian community who are willing to be a part of an emergency service, essentially, which is a, a specialised area. And, um, and I think that what we've been able to prove is that we do that really, really well. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Paul McFarlane from uh, New South Wales Ambulance Service, uh, leading all of those chaplains, there is, isn't there, a connection 
between the emergency services and the church. It's the chaplain who's the go-between. And an important role that the chaplain plays because, in some sense, the chaplain is a representative of, of the churches of their particular community. Yes, indeed. And uh, excuse me. I know in some of our recent recruitment, um, we've we've been able to include some denominations that we haven't had for a while, and I think they're very proud of the fact that they've got uh, one or two of their members are now serving in this way. Uh, it does. It, it, I've always found, it, even when I was a volunteer chaplain uh, in the local community in a country town, I think my church was very proud of the fact that I was involved in this ministry because they knew that I was going that extra mile on their behalf to provide a deeper level of uh, care for the community and, and for our hard-working emergency services as well. So it is very much respected. And I, I think just on your last point too, I was thinking about that as you, you were both speaking. And, uh, you know, we do recruit the very best people we can, you know, for our teams. They're not, they're not just well-meaning uh, lay people or, or clergy who have, a, have an interest. They're actually people that have a passion, a calling, and very good professional qualifications. And I think that is important to reiterate that because... Some people think that uh, clergy and pastors or lay people are actually, you know, just well-meaning, nice people. But actually, you know, we all study very hard. We train. We, uh, we, you know, we're always learning. We're always um, seeking to be the best we can. And uh, it means, you know, when you when you match that calling up with the right ministry and the right skills, it's a very powerful and a wonderful mix for as part of God's kingdom. And Paul, that's a part of your story, isn't it? Because you come from a nursing background and then a Christian ministry training background. Those two things together are dynamite when it comes to serving in this area of chaplaincy. Yeah, you can even go back a step further, Neil, because my father was a paramedic, so I grew up in a home where where my father was a local ambulance officer in in a small country town. He was on call. Uh, all my growing up life as a child so and I, I you know I remember actually saying to dad I might join the ambulance service and he said to me well go get some other qualifications first just in case it doesn't work out which I thought was wise advice from my yeah. father but uh, it, 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 it did mean that in the end I come with all this cultural uh, experience as well as professional experience I understand it from the from being a child being a family member of a, of a paramedic for you know from my earliest memories so it does all help. That's right, and uh, certainly there's a new dimension or a whole dimension there in the heritage that we have in our families and, and the examples that our parents are to us that actually uh, give us that sense of uh, compassionate meaning to the way we serve God. Uh, let me ask you, Stuart Stewart, and uh, I recall asking you this in an earlier conversation uh, about a month ago, uh, but the idea of, uh, of what you do there in Victoria... Uh, spreading to other states because uh, you've got a fairly lean uh, administration for what you do, but you've got a huge reach right across your state. Uh, What are you able to share about what's happening in other states with regard to uh, the sort of chaplaincy services similar to what you provide? Well, there's a great service in New South Wales in in the form of the um, New South Wales Disaster Chaplaincy Network, um, and it's uh, it's run out of the Uniting Church Synod, and um, it, it has a, a great network across New South Wales. And in fact, Stephen Robinson, who heads that up, and myself are, have been working together for some time to develop a national strategy. I know that VCC, or Victorian Council of Churches, um, actually has trained and supported over 120 chaplains in Tasmania to build something in Tasmania similar to what we have in Victoria. And I know Stephen similarly has been into South Australia and Queensland to talk about how the church can actually uh, motivate um, uh, people to in the church to be a part of a, an emergency service chaplaincy network. And so um, collectively there is something happening on the east coast of, uh, of Australia in particular, but uh, Stephen and I are very committed to a national strategy and making sure that um, any state or territory can pick up a, a module, if you like, 
um, and a process to start a, a community chaplaincy network. Um, Paul does a fantastic job in New South Wales Ambulance and there are other emergency service groups that have chaplaincy services, but uh, when we're talking about emergencies in a community context, that's an area that's of need across Australia and so we're committed to trying to reach out into uh, churches and communities across Australia, give them a package that helps them to navigate their way in establishing an organisation or a group uh, with some training and information and hopefully a connection with government at a local and at a state level to uh, authorise people to respond to emergencies, particularly like in, in WA at the moment with the, um, the tragic fires that are happening there. That's right. And uh, look, there's uh, opportunity there for people uh, listening in WA to join our conversation. If you'd like to comment on uh, some of those tragic things that you've seen over these past few days. Uh, Stuart, Stuart, we're going to have to uh, say goodbye to you, but I want to give the website and particularly as you're talking about that momentum that's happening there with chaplaincy services around Australia and so much scope for opportunity uh, for people to become involved in these areas of chaplaincy. I'll give your website and uh, people might like to contact you and uh, you might be able to then uh, connect them with various Indeed. ones that you're aware of around the nation. Mm, so vccem.org.au. Now that stands for the Victorian Council of Churches Emergency Ministry. .org.au. So vccem.org.au. Stuart Stewart leads the Victorian Council of Churches Emergency Ministries. Stuart, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil, and good to meet you, Paul. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All the best for your ministry. We're talking about chaplains, emergency services this hour. How important do you think it is to have a Christian chaplain present in your darkest hour? How important is the care for those people who serve in our emergency services? You might have your own story to tell. Our special guest this hour is Paul McFarlane. He's Senior Chaplain with the New South Wales Ambulance Service and we are taking calls. Thanks to those who've been waiting on the line for so long. Desiree from The Gap in Queensland. Welcome along to 2020, hello. Desiree. Oh, hello. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to call in and um, just say to Paul that I thought it, it's really a wonderful uh, service that uh, chaplains can offer. And I'm a registered nurse and work in operating theatre. And I have my own story to tell um, that happened 10 years ago. This year was the anniversary of the incident that happened. And it really changed my life and um, many people who were involved in that incident. It was a little boy, Jordan. He was only four years old and he was drawing with chalk in his mother's driveway. And um, the dad came home with the elder brother in the car and they rode over him with the um, heavy-duty four-wheel drive. And um, they rode over his neck and his shoulder and his uh, lower jaw with the, um, with the car and then only realised afterwards that, you know, he was in the driveway and... Um, his mother um, rang um, for some support. She actually rang the church family and rang certain people and she rang my home and I went over and we just lived down the road from them. And, um, you know, I didn't know whether he was going to survive because he was choking on his own blood and, you know, blood was coming out of his ear and he had missing hair and he was bleeding um, quite badly. And the ambulance service arrived pretty much... Um, straight after I had arrived and we were standing praying for him in the um, the front lawn and he, uh, we had to follow behind and the police car came as well and we had to follow behind. Well, I, I followed as well in my own car and I was praying um, and then when we got to the hospital, um, we gathered in a room because some more church family came and we all stood and prayed for Jordan and um, 
later on that evening, um, the emergency team said that he had stabilized and that, um, uh, you know, because he had stabilized so amazingly that, uh, you know, and he only appeared to have fractured uh, base of the skull and on mm. his, um, you know, on his collarbone and, and his chin that, um, you know, they were, um, you know, if it was okay, they would rather get the two surgeons to come the following morning and um, do the operation. So, and they, um, one of the surgeons said that he thought that it was a miracle from God that this boy mm. had survived and he was actually recovering before their very eyes. So, um, yeah, I just felt that that support that my friend Sharon called out for was a real need that she felt at the time, even though her boy had been ridden over by, you know, by this, you know, the dad had ridden over him, she immediately um, rang for support. So it was a real need inside of her. And I feel that so many people, um, you know, have that need um, for a support, a spiritual support. Well, poor people don't necessarily know, do they, what sort of uh, support is available and what might be needed in the time when there is an emergency. And Desiree, uh, thanks so much for sharing that story. This this would be something, a normal part of your day-to-day life, Paul. Yeah, sadly, those kind of incidents that um, has just been described do happen far too often in our society. But, um, you know, and I suppose every day somewhere in the state, things are happening which are absolutely tragic and are rocking people's sense of the world and how it all, all works. But what I think we bring as Christian chaplains is... Um, not just care and compassion, but we actually bring the presence of a loving God into a situation and we remind people that even though it looks completely out of control on the surface, um, God is still in charge, God is still concerned, and God still cares about people. And I think we are often, you know, the hands and feet and the heart of Jesus and the mouth of Jesus as we speak and care for people. But I think we we remind people that this world um, is under the control of a loving God and despite how some things end up, um, God still cares and God makes sure that people are supported through that. So it is a, is a very, it's a, it's a difficult ministry to explain to people, but uh, as we've just heard in that, from that caller's perspective, um, there's something about having people who of faith with you and supporting you in that that brings in the bigger picture of God's sovereignty as well and God's care. Desiree from The Gap in Queensland, thanks so much for your contribution today here on 2020. one 316 our talkback line open, you might like to contribute. Let's hear from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan, welcome along to 2020. Jonathan, are you with us? Jonathan's not with us. Jonathan, you might like to try and call us back, one 316 Paul, let me just uh, hearken back to the value of the chaplain. Uh, when someone is going through this, what we might call their darkest hour, and this connection comes to uh, God, uh, this is a time, isn't it, uh, this crisis time in someone's life where they're, they're being shaken spiritually. Sometimes it's because there is no spirituality and all of a sudden you become aware yes. uh, when your feet are on the ground that there is a God. Uh, others who actually do know God and they're struck with the crisis, uh, their, their belief can be shaken. Yes, it can be, but I, I tend to find myself that, you know, with good care and good pastoral support for people, you know, and, and over time people can develop a, a stronger faith in God, a stronger you know, trust in the sovereign, um, a loving, creating Father. Um, but I think, you know, they need, sometimes on the surface things, like I said, seem out of control and it seems that God's not there. But in my experience, and the, the situation that um, Desiree was just describing, which on the surface sounds like a horrific incident, it medically sounds like a horrific in, you know, injury to, to receive, but um, God is still able to redeem, um, you know, 
what seems uh, impossible from a human point of view and make it possible. So I think uh, to tap into that is a marvellous thing to do and it is often a testimony to others of God's God's quiet power in the world, uh, how he does that for us. And I suppose, you know, I see many things, you know, most weeks I hear about incidents that happen and I think there but by the grace of God would things have got a lot worse, if you know what I mean. So, you know, um, just a small change here or there means it's not a bigger catastrophe as it would have otherwise been. So I'm sure God is at work every day in all of our lives uh, helping us and supporting us whether we have faith or not. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen to be part of our conversation. Let's hear from Anna on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Anna. Welcome along to Twenty Twenty. Hi, Anna. What are your thoughts? So, what was the thing again? I forgot. Sorry, we're talking about chaplains. I oh, yeah, chaplains. I am. Um, my thoughts about chaplains. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, um, yeah great to have chaplains like at um, high schools and primary schools. Okay, yep. Well, uh, there are chaplains walking in a lot of different uh, walks of life, aren't there? And uh, and yeah. uh, today, uh, getting a little focus in on those who are supporting our emergency services or people who've been uh, subjected to all sorts of trauma because of accidents and because of natural disasters. Yeah. But, well, thank you so much for your call today, Anna. Appreciate hearing from you. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. if you'd like to be part of our conversation. Liz is in Jacobs Well in Queensland. Hello, Liz. Welcome along. Hi. How are you this morning? Very well, Liz. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that I work with several chaplains. I drive a school bus and I work with a chaplain who works for the Port of Brisbane as well. And I just think they're so precious and so undervalued. And I was so annoyed to read in the paper on the week excuse me, I'm getting uptight, about them changing the name of the chaplains so that it doesn't offend other people. It, what the young the fellow Paul just said about bringing Christ into the situation yep. is so important. And, you know, chaplains don't generally get paid a lot or at all, hence I'm working with a fellow who is doing his chaplaincy at the Port of Brisbane but driving a school bus to make ends meet, and yet he is brilliant with people, brilliant with men in particular, in Christ excuse me, in crisis situations. So, Liz, what are they planning to change the name of Chaplain to? I can't remember. It was in the paper on the weekend, but they want to take out uh, words that uh, would offend the imam, basically. Was that, was that in relation to the military chaplains? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw that story. Yes. Paul, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the word chaplains become synonymous with yeah, the Yeah, look, connected... I think it was, it's not to do with the word chaplain. It was more to do with the, uh, the, the badge that military chaplains wear, which has a motto on it. I think there was some wording there that's quite historic, maybe over 100 years old, um, and perhaps, you know, doesn't quite resonate with people uh, today. So I think there's some discussion about that. But... Um, um, that's yeah. right. I, I recall. Uh, I recall seeing uh, or reading an article about that. I think that badge yeah. has uh, the words uh, "In this sign, conquer," and of that's course, correct. it's talking yeah, about correct. the cross the and, cross, uh, yeah. and how yeah. offensive that might be to people of Islamic faith. But Liz, uh, I guess it would be important in your mind to to maintain that word "chaplain" because it has such a rich history. Absolutely, and, and to maintain maintain the fact that this is a Christian country and the chaplains are part of that heritage and part of doing. I mean, really, let's be honest. If you take uh, the church and the chaplaincy and all the, and the SC Rescue, all the emergency services out, largely volunteer, 
how would this country run? It wouldn't. Yes, yes. You know, most of our support services, most of our charities are Christian-based, and um, and you're right. Without them, you know, we would have a very different culture, wouldn't we? And, but I think, um, you know, that in my experience, and I work for a government department as the New South Wales Ambulance, part of their health department. You know, it, it amazes me in some ways how open they are to it when other parts of society are quite close to, to Christian things. But I think they see that intangible value of what we bring and they are happy to support it, resource it, equip it so that we can provide that as part of holistic sort of support for, for our community and for our staff. So people do recognise the spiritual. I think we've got to keep reminding people that the spiritual is important. But uh, I think chaplains are a good way to, to put that in front of people to say, well, that's one aspect of the spiritual that, um, that people can engage with even if they don't go to church or have other faith-based activities. Liz from Jacobs Well, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line remains, remains open on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Interestingly, Paul, when you talk about those things, it is so important and it's highlighted here that if you are a pure, thoroughgoing secularist and you say there is no God, there is no afterlife or whatever you might want to call that, then, then how do you deal with all of the grief and the pain that people go through at the end of their life, their darkest hour or at the receiving end of uh, dreadful things that happen in emergencies? Uh, but this is something so special and, uh, and almost tangible insofar as you can just about touch uh, the empowerment that comes uh, from this connection to understanding God and the yeah. hope that we have in Christ. Yes, I've certainly seen both as a parish minister as well as in a chaplaincy role that you know you do many funerals for people and there are some people for whom the death is quite hopeless. That seems they're lost, the family are lost, they don't know what to do, they've got no processing capacity, they've got no connection with the spiritual or with, uh, with the living God and so they're left on their own to process that in a very secular way which comes up short all the time in my opinion but um, those that have hope, those that have faith um, those that trust it's not just about us, it's who you actually put your faith in, it's the important thing isn't it, who, who we trust which is the Lord Jesus, uh, we know that uh, that um, he is for us even if things on the surface don't always look that way but he will, will carry us, he will support us, he will get through these things and that's, um, that is an enormously comforting thing and for many of our people in the community as I said they don't have any connection with the church these days yet they can still feel that touch of God through the chaplain well, there's things that people go through when they're struck with crisis, so whether it's some sort of emergency or disaster, that initial shock, uh, followed by that bereavement and mm. uh, grief. And, and, and I, in my understanding of all of this sort of thing, Paul, this can last not just a few days, but can go on for weeks. And uh, the grief process can go on even for years. Uh, if you leave God out of the picture, then you're actually denying this opportunity to heal something in the soul, aren't you? I think so, and I think you're losing opportunity to put it into a bigger perspective and a bigger picture too, and you know that we know that death is not the end for those that trust in Christ, and so that's clearly what, it, what we hope people will do in our society. More and more people come and trust Christ for their forgiveness and for their salvation, but I think um, uh, it, it just it's a great... If you know that those you love uh, with the Lord and that you'll be reunited with them once again in the future, it does help to heal some of those hurts from today uh, when, when you know that that's going to happen in the future. It's certainly been a comfort to me. I lost my mother in a car accident some years ago and she gave her life to Christ only weeks before and it was, it, that whilst it was a very painful time for me, at the same time there was a lot of hope there knowing that death is not the end. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 
Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You're listening in on 2020. It's Neil Johnson with you. Paul McFarlane, our guest, Senior Chaplain with the New South Wales Ambulance Service. Paul, let me ask you about the connections that there are with uh, your chaplaincy service and other chaplaincy services that happen, and whether it's uh, whether it's sporting chaplains or school chaplains or chaplains in all sorts of walks of life. How is there a coordinated approach? Is What's the glue between the chaplaincy services oh that's a, that's a good question well i think what's the glue is hard to explain but i think the fact is that we have chaplains in so many different aspects of the society today and we have we can actually have the luxury of having some specialist responsibilities and i think that helps us uh, whether you're in a school whether you're in a community uh, chaplaincy network as stuart spoke about recently whether you're in emergency service or a, or a university or a, or a docklands setting as we heard from that other caller uh we we work in specialist areas we know our people we know how to support them and i think we, we don't have to be all things to all people. I think we need to support our own people but have networks of others that can do other roles when required. And some examples, I was thinking of this when we were speaking with Stuart earlier, that uh, yeah, I've had a couple of examples where we've worked very closely with the Disaster Recovery Network of chaplains in New South Wales through Stuart Robinson. Um, I remember a couple of years ago we had those big bushfires in the Springwood and Blue Mountains, Winmalee area, uh, in which over 200 homes were lost in a very short period of time. I responded up to the mountains with some of my chaplains because three of our three of our paramedics had also lost their homes. So that was our primary focus. Plus, we were also still fighting the fire uh, and our paramedics were on standby. But when I got up there, we went to the evacuation centres and, and there, there, there was many, many chaplains there wearing a purple tabard from the Disaster Recovery Network saying that they were there and they were sitting and talking with people that were hurting and just lost homes. And I, I thought it was marvellous that we could concentrate on our role, which was still on the front line with the paramedics and the firefighters and those that had lost their homes from our family, our uh, ambulance family, while they did uh, some marvellous work with the community. And another example was the Limp Cafe uh, siege uh, almost 12 months ago where I worked closely with the paramedics uh, who were involved there and our special operations paramedics who were in the building when the shots were fired. Um, yet down the road was the disaster recovery people helping people that were evacuated and then following up people afterwards including when the flowers were laid in Martin Place over the coming weeks there was chaplains there the whole time talking to people who were processing the grief of that event so it was a, it was a great partnership and, I, and it's one that I foster very closely with uh, meetings with other chaplains to make sure we have good networks of support for one another. Well, your involvement in those incidents really is very significant. When it comes to the sort of training that you put people through when they're interested in being a, a chaplain, uh, does it include, you know, is there an element in there that's sort of, you know, responding to a terror attack? Uh, or is it the same sort of principles that apply across the board, whatever disaster or emergency might, ev- might come from, uh, uh, from events? Yeah, look, it's a good question. I think we're we're all trying to get our heads around the current state of the world in terms of terror-related incidents, aren't we? And the, the recent events in Paris and the ongoing ongoing threats in you know Belgium and other places at the moment. Not to mention what's happened in, in Africa and Asia and other countries in recent months and years. Uh, it is it's horrific, and I think you know we pray that we'll be preserved from that. But of course, we've already had a taste of that through the uh, Lint Cafe siege, uh, where and other events around Australia where people have been arrested once again with. Um, you know, sometimes in the nick of time. Um, yeah, look, we do train people for major incidents, and it really is the same template we apply over everything. But I think we, what what Martin Place did for us as a society was it pushed our buttons a bit in terms of it made us feel unsafe. Uh, you know, it was a cafe. It's a place a lot of us go for a coffee every morning or we grab a coffee, and, you know, to think something like that could happen to people was quite shocking to people, I think. 
And I think that's where chaplaincy comes in again, because I think we can help people to wrestle with those big questions of life, the why does this happen, that's not fair, you know, I don't feel safe questions. Uh, I think we're uniquely qualified uh, to answer those as spiritual people, because uh, human psychology, human and secular social work doesn't always know how to address those, but we can at least have a go at trying to answer those and support people as they wrestle with those questions. Amazing insight there that chaplaincy brings a dimension that no one else is capable of actually bringing. Let's hear from Wendy in South Australia. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along to 2020. Hi. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Um, My thoughts are um, we live in uh, rural South Australia, but our son was a chaplain up in, well, he's not allowed to be called chaplain anymore because they changed it to a Christian pastoral care worker a couple of years ago, and now they've dropped the Christian and done pastoral care worker. And I'm wondering whether South Australia actually know that they're still chaplains. Okay, well, uh, they're chaplains, but under a different type of name, type of terminology. Uh, Paul, uh, this reflects, I guess, back to uh, an earlier caller. Yes, and I think, um, I mean, obviously I would uh, I would fight strongly to re- maintain that word chaplain because I think it does have historic links by, right back through, especially the military, uh, through many centuries uh, in Western Western culture. Uh, and chaplain, or often get referred to as padre by some of our people who have got military backgrounds or police backgrounds. That's a, another word that's very similar, but I... I think there's a big difference between a, uh, a chaplain and a secular pastoral care person or even just a pastoral care person from a church. I think there's a different connotation in our society. They understand there's a link to organisation, there's a link to culture, there's a link to um, to perhaps a military or emergency services background. Or, and so I think it is important to maintain that. But even in schools, we need to have school chaplains, we need university chaplains, we need workplace chaplains, uh, we need sporting club chaplains, uh, people that bring the spiritual into that uh, that often secular environment. So I'm I'm very for maintaining that word. It's a very important word in my mind. Wendy from South Australia, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020 and uh, into our last couple of minutes already here, Paul. I want to come back to your recruitment drive. Mm. Uh, You'd like to see a bunch of new recruits in your New South Wales Ambulance Service chaplaincy. Uh, What's the best way for people to actually make a move and say, well, you know, I'm qualified in all sorts of different ways how about I contribute in chaplaincy in the ambulance service? How do you do it? Sure. Well, look, I'm always happy for people to contact me. I'll, I'll give out a, an email address that might be helpful if people uh, in New South Wales are interested in just getting in touch with me. I can certainly um, speak further with them about the opportunities as they evolve and come up. Uh, the, that address is um, chaplains, C-H-A-P-L-A-I-N-S, uh, at ambulance dot nsw.gov.au so that's our, uh, our generic chaplaincy email address for the New South Wales Ambulance um, so chaplains at ambulance.newsouthwales.gov.au and um, if you've been uh, battling to find a pencil or a pen to write that down mm-hmm. it's chaplains plural at ambulance.nsw.gov.au Yes, and we're particularly looking to recruit more chaplains, I think, in the next 12 months in parts of our regional New South Wales, the far west, the far north, uh, more of our outback areas, because they're often hard to uh, to, to uh, find chaplains. But I'm also open to uh, good qualified lay people who might be interested in talking to me as well, not necessarily ordained clergy or pastors, but people with a real heart for ministry who are serving in their local churches with some training and experience. So very happy to hear from people, and uh, when the time comes to actually advertise these positions, I'm more than happy to get back in touch with them and ask them to apply uh, formally at that point. Okay, for those are for people in New South Wales uh, more specifically, chaplains at ambulance.nsw.gov.au. Yes, 
www.gov.au. And just reflecting back to our earlier conversation with Stuart Stewart, the website to be in touch with the Victorian Council of Churches Emergency Ministries is VCCEM. Dot org dot au, org dot au. Well, Paul McFarlane, great catching up. Thank you so much for your insights, uh, just so valuable, and uh, you're an inspiration when it comes to uh, serving God in the way that you do. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and to talk to the listeners as well. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.